You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. See everybody here. We are uh, continuing our sermon series on Jonah. We are on our third installment today. And um, how many of you have been reading this book, at least this, this prophetic book? Have you been reading it? At least when, when, since we've started, how many of you have read through it already? You know the story? Okay, how many of you don't, don't have a clue what I'm talking about? Maybe for the first-timers here, yeah, that's, uh, that's understandable. So. But we are going through the book of Jonah, and uh, I just have this one question. My question is, have you ever felt like you've, you've uh, made a mistake, that you've blown it so much that you feel like there's no more chance for you, there's no more hope for you? that you don't seem to have any other chance. How many of you have ever been in this situation? Have you felt this? Have you ever felt this? How, how many of you are, are in that situation? Don't raise your hand, but if you're there in that situation and you feel like there's no hope for you, there is hope for you. Some of us have uh, mistakes, have made mistakes. Uh, you know, Maybe you've blown a relationship and you want to have another chance. You've hurt your loved one and you're suffering for it, and both of you are suffering, and you want to make it right, and so you're asking for another chance. And sometimes people make it hard for you to get another chance, and sometimes people don't give you another chance. Some of us fail on less, uh, less significant things. Uh, how many of you passed your driver's test, the DMV driving test? You've passed it. How many of you took it twice, more than once? <laughs> Three times. <laughs> so at least you had another chance. On, on the third try, you got it, right? So aren't you thankful for chances for a second or a third chance? But in the small things in life, we do get chances. When you play sports, you have chances. I used to play tennis. So when you serve and you serve a fault, you have a second chance. But if you miss it again, then it's going to be a score against, against you. So it's going to be your opponent's score. Or uh, in basketball, if you drive to the basket and you get fouled and you miss the shot, you know, you have a, a chance to make two points or three points, depending on if you were at a three-point area. And, you know, in boxing, sometimes you get knocked down and you're given a standing eight count, but you still have a chance to win, you know. So, but in life, there are things that um, we can make mistakes in and still find chances, but there are things in life that if we really blow it, and if we don't know the opportunity or the pathway for grace or for, for us to have a second chance, then we're doomed, okay? But the good thing is this. The good news is that if you are, you know, in a situation in your life where your choices are leading you towards an eternal destination, and you have no clue how to get out of that situation, the good news is God gives us second chances, and especially when our eternity is at stake. And this second chance is given to us by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and, and that's the title of my message today, A Second Chance. It used to be one more chance, but I, a lot of people are saying that, I've been hearing that, that phrase, one more chance, and I, and I discovered it's like a a pretty popular line from a movie or from a Philippine movie or something. So, so to make sure that there is no connection to that, I changed the title to A Second Chance. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and uh, read our text this morning. If you could all stand right now in to, uh, to honor God's word as we read it. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, it's always good to bring your Bibles, whether it's printed or electronic, open to the book of Jonah. We're going to read chapter 3, and we're just going to read uh, the first five verses, but we're going to go through the entire chapter uh, in the sermon. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that your word presents. Your truth sets us free. Lord, your truth changes us, Lord, and together with your truth is your grace. And we thank you in the story of Jonah, Lord, that there is judgment, and yet, Lord, the, the overarching theme of this book is your grace. And Lord, we thank you that as we sang a while ago, your grace changes everything. Lord, and no matter where we are, when your grace is there, it changes everything for our benefit and for your glory. And so, Lord, today we pray that your word be deposited, planted deep in our hearts, that it would be embedded in our lives, that it would germinate and bear fruit for your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have your seats. Just uh, give you a brief recap of the last two weeks. We've been going through one chapter at every week. And the book of Jonah is only four chapters long, so in the series is four installments. So the first uh, chapter, we talked about Jonah receiving a call from God to go to the city of Nineveh to preach against it uh, because of the evil that is in the city. But Jonah being a prophet, and also having biases against the city of Nineveh because uh, Nineveh is part of Assyria, and Assyria was, was an enemy of Israel and of the Israelites. So he had personal biases, and so instead of obeying God, after he heard the call of God to go to Nineveh, he arose and went the other way, went to a ship, boarded a ship that was going to sail to Tarshish, which was about 2,500 miles away, west of the Mediterranean, to get away from, from what God was telling him to do. And many people find themselves in that situation. God tells them to do something, and they go do the opposite thing because they don't want to do the thing that God wants them to do. And so God sent a storm where the ship was, and then the, the people in the ship were in, in great fear, and Jonah said, it's because of me. So if you throw me overboard, you will be saved. And so they threw him overboard, and then once he hit, he hit the sea, the storm stopped, and then a great fish swallowed Jonah. Okay, for three days, he was in that fish. And, and uh, we learned from that chapter that when you run from God, you run into trouble. And you also, when you run from God, you also cause trouble or bring trouble to those around you. Okay, so when you disobey, when you disobey God... Trouble will be a mark of your life because of that disobedience. And some of those troubles are consequences, basically, of your choices. But 
some of those troubles as well are God-ordained so that he can bring you back to where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be going northeast and you're going west. God will allow troubles to come to you so that you can be redeemed and brought back to where you're supposed to go. So when you run from God, you run from trouble. And, and then two weeks ago, we talked about Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days. And so he learned a lot there. God supernaturally preserved his life inside the belly of the fish. Did I say whale? I said whale, so the, the Bible doesn't say whale, so a lot of people think it's a whale. And then he was in the belly of the fish for three days, miraculously kept alive. And in those three days, he realized a lot of things. How many of you know that if you're in the belly of a fish, you're going to learn your lesson there? So he learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. He changed. He cried out to God. He thanked God that in spite of him being in, in the belly of the fish, he's still alive and that there's still a chance. And actually, the fish was God's provision. The Bible says in Jonah that God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah because he was going to drown. And many times God will give us what we need. And the things that we need sometimes are not the things that we want. God knows what we need. And sometimes the things that we need, they come to us not in a way that we expect. But it's God's provision nonetheless. And so he was there in the belly of the fish learning his lesson. And his character, his heart was changing. He, so he, his heart turned to God. He turned towards God. He cried out to God. And then after three days, he felt like a rumbling inside. He was there in the belly of the fish and all the gastric juices there. And all of a sudden, he felt like a, he felt like a projectile coming out of that, the fish's belly, uh, out of that fish's throat, I guess, out of the fish's mouth, and he was vomited onto land. So he was spared. God saved him, and then he was there back in land. Okay, so, and then see, he is back safe. Now, we pick up the story here in, jo in chapter 3, and it says there, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. In chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and he ran away from it. God disciplined him for it. And when he learned his lesson, he's back where he started. God tells him again. A second time, that very Thing he told Jonah the first time. God said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Actually, in verse 2 of chapter 1, let's just review. Here's what God said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And God was going to send his messenger to deliver a message of warning that God was about to destroy the city. God destroyed cities. Well, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, if you remember that, right? He allowed several Canaanite cities to be destroyed using the Israelites as his instruments of judgment and justice against those nations. And see, how can God do that? Why can he do that? Because simple reason is because he is the sovereign of, over all nations. He is the one who is in control over nations, He's the one who sets up nations and pulls them down. He's the one who establishes empires and throws them down. He's the one who sets up kings and deposes them. No matter what people think or believe, whether they believe in God or not, it is God who is in control over all things. Not the government, 
not the president, not the senators, not the congressmen, not the kings. God is in total control, and he allows all those he had, has delegated authority to to exercise authority, but ultimately all authority comes from him. And the fate of nations rests on God. Okay, and so when there's so much evil in a nation, God comes down with judgment. But before he allows the nation to incur his wrath, he gives them time to repent. He sends messengers. And we see that in the nation of Israel as well. Israel was a chosen nation of God. Out of all the nations, God chose Israel, not because they're his favorite, not because they're better looking than everybody else, but simply because of his purpose. He had to choose a nation to be a model nation. But the Israelites saw it differently. They thought because they were the chosen nation, they're better than everybody. And see, they missed it. And so they, they thought they were better than everybody. So they didn't really live up to what God wanted them to be. And so God was disciplining them. And he sent prophets to prophesy to them, to speak to them, to turn back to him before he would send out his judgment or his justice or his discipline to them. He would make sure that they would know first so that they'll have time to respond and repent. Okay? So here, Jonah was restored by God to his original commission. See, the commission of God in his life never changed. It never changed, at least for that purpose. It didn't change. What changed here was his heart. How many of us here today... We wrestle with God. God's calling us to do something. It's been years. You've heard God tell you, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and you're doing something else. The callings and the giftings of God are irrevocable, the Bible says. You know, Talking about those, the gifts that he places on us and even the callings. And that actually, that verse refers to, uh, the context there is uh, to the, the calling of God in Israel. Okay, so, but in principle, it, we can apply the principle to our lives as well. God is a gracious God, and he gives second chances. And so here, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. See, it's a different story. It's the same call, but it's a different story. In chapter 1, when God gave him this calling, when the word of the Lord came to him the first time, Jonah arose and went to flee from the presence of the Lord. But he had learned his lesson now, and here he obeyed. Now, a lot of people think that it's, you know, feel, you know, uh, unworthy to receive a second chance from God. It's good that I'm forgiven, but for me to still be called again to this, I messed up. I messed up big time. I made a mistake. I deliberately disobeyed God, or, or, or whether it's, it's consciously, unconsciously, or deliberately, or through ignorance, I made a mistake. I don't think I'm worthy to be called again. It's good that I'm forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven me. But the fact that after you're forgiven, God calls you to the same calling, that shows you the grace of God in your life. That tells you that God is gracious to you, okay? And it's not because of you. Of course, partially it's because of you. But more importantly, it is because of the purpose of God for your life and for the people you will touch. So Jonah here obeyed. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. So during those days, they didn't have cities like we have today, like 
New York City or San Francisco where we have, it's a big metropolis and you have skyscrapers. Uh, they probably had edifices then and towers then, but it's not, nothing compared to what we have today in the major cities of the world. But during their time, in their standards, that was a great city. It's a huge city. As we've said in the first week of this series, Nineveh was a very important city in the, in the Assyrian Empire. As a matter of fact, after the events of, of Jonah, several years later, Sennacherib, the Assyrian emperor, made Nineveh the capital city of the whole Assyrian Empire. So it's, it is an important city. It's an ancient city. This was mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. Okay, so this is one of the most, one of the oldest cities that the Bible mentions. Okay, so it's a great city and says three days journey in breadth. When you say that, the diameter of this city, if it were a circle, the diameter, when you cross it, it's going to be three days breadth. Some, some uh, biblical scholars believe it's three days journey around it, you know, but some, some scholars believe it's three days worth of travel during their day not by car or anything, okay? So three days, so it's a big city. It's a big city. It has a lot of people. And Jonah was to preach to the Ninevites there. It's a huge city. How many of you know you're going to be intimidated? It can be intimidating, like coming to San Francisco. Go to San Francisco and preach the gospel there. How many of you, if God told you, go to, the, go to Union Square or go to this place in San Francisco and preach there, what are you going to do? I think I'll do... I think I'll go to Yosemite. I'll go to Lake Tahoe or something. <laughs> it's intimidating. It could be intimidating. So, um, so it's a great city, huge. And then Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. Remember, it's three days journey to go across it, right, or around it. He had done one-third of the journey. And one-third of the journey, one-third of the way, he was in the city. He began preaching. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, of course, this story, I mean, it leaves out a lot of details. It doesn't mention all the, all the specifics, how he preached, where he preached. The point is he, did, he obeyed God, and he preached in the city, and this is the basic message. 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Nineveh shall be brought to destruction. Nineveh shall be destroyed, or Nineveh shall be changed. 40 days, 40 days, it's going to be destroyed. So God, the messenger of God was already there. He was declaring the message, and yet there's grace period. How many of you are thankful for grace periods? When you were a student and you were, you were behind in your homework, and the professor says, this, today is the deadline. <laughs> Sir, please extend it. No, a lot of people already finished their homework, you know, as, as expected. But, sir, you know, you have so many excuses, whatever. Okay, I'll give you a grace period. I'll give you until tomorrow noon. You call that grace period. You don't deserve that, but it's given to you. That's why it's called grace. Grace is something that you get that you don't deserve. Okay? It's something you get that you do not deserve. Forty days. God was giving them grace period. So there... The fact that God has set a time tells you that he is giving you the chance. He is giving you, he is giving them the opportunity to turn. And notice, in the message of Jonah, there was no call to repentance. 
it was a stern warning. 40 days, and you're going to be kaput. Your evil has gone up to God. It's gone up to him. It's so bad that he's going to come and wipe you out. It's going to destroy the city. No call to repentance there. It's interesting. And yet, as there was no call for repentance, God was gracious to them. You notice, God was gracious to Jonah. He disobeyed, and yet he experienced the grace of God in his life. And here, God was also being gracious to the Ninevites, to the ones who are so filled with evil. This is a people who walk in evil ways, and they're filled with violence, as described here in Jonah. And in history, they're pretty much known as well as such. Okay? They're not nice people. You know, a lot of people come here from, from different parts of the U.S. People here in the West Coast are nice. They're nicer, they're laid, more laid back and compared to people on the other side of, uh, on, the, on the other coast. You know, so people generally notice that. So the Ninevites were not like that. They were fear, a feared people. No wonder Sennacherib made it the capital city of Assyria to instill fear all throughout um, you know, the Assyrian Empire and those that they conquer. Okay? So, and here Jonah preached the message of God. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Isn't it interesting? Let's look at that verse again. Jonah said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, how did they believe God? I mean, who's this guy? I mean, obviously, he's not from here. Okay, uh, what made it, you know, what made Jonah believable to them? What made him credible? Some, some Bible scholars believe that because he was, he was in the belly of the fish for three days, there were actual accounts of people who were, who were found in, in the belly of whales that they've caught. And those people, some have died, but some have survived, actually. And uh, because of the gastric juices there inside the belly of the fish, it kind of it bleached their skin. And th- these are actual accounts. And so some Bible scholars say that, you know, when Jonah came out, probably the story of Jonah being swallowed by the whale and, and everything that happened in the ship, it probably went, you know, they heard of it. But these are all conjecture, okay? These are not here in the scriptures. But there was something different about Jonah. Maybe, maybe it's the presence of God in him. So he was so different, and yet his message was so compelling. A very simple message. And we see here a, an account of a citywide revival. A citywide turning to God. A citywide repentance. How many of you want to see the city of San Francisco and, and, and the people who live here? come to that kind of turning it's got to be of God it's not going to be something man will produce the coolest churches here in the U.S. can never produce that because revival is not produced by man it is only God who produces that only God can turn the heart and so here Jonah was just the mouthpiece he was just the messenger and the Ninevites believed God the whole city And it's interesting here, you see, they believed God, they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, actually doing the fast. So uh, these are, you know, the three aspects of their response. First, there was an inward response. 
by believing God. They did not just believe the prophet of God. They believed the God of the prophet. More than just the prophet, they believed the God he served. So it says that they believed God. So that was an inward response. And then here was an articulated response. They called out a fast. They told everybody. The king actually proclaimed a fast for everyone, including the animals. Forced fast. The animals were in a forced fast. So they articulated that, what they were going to do, and then they did it. They put on sackcloth. And this is an, a tradition in ancient Middle East. When you're grieving or when you're repenting and when you're mourning or when you're, when you're doing all those things, you tear your robes and then you put on sackcloth. You, you put on sackcloth and you stain ashes and you put, pour ashes, you know, put ashes on your head. That's a common practice for grief, mourning, and repentance during their day. And so they basically repented. They repented. And the details of this repentance we can see in verses 6 through 9. Okay, so let's look at that. We didn't read this this morning. It says there, the word reached the king of Nineveh. Now remember, the city was three days' journey in breadth, but Jonah only made it to the first, to the, uh, a third of the city. But his message rang throughout the city that it, it filled the city and it reached the king of the city. Jonah was there one-third of the way, but his message was ahead of him. People were talking about it. Perhaps they were, they were expecting it. Okay, so, and here they fasted, they humbled themselves. Let's, let's read that. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. This is the order of the king. Nobody's going to eat. We're in dire straits here. We're going to die. We're going to perish. Do you want that? Let's sacrifice here. So they, they humble themselves. But let Man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. They were desperate. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. See, the king understood why they were going uh, to be destroyed. Why there was impending judgment. Why the justice of God was imminent. They knew why. They understand. That's one aspect of repentance. Repentance is acknowledging the wrong thing you did and taking ownership of it and crying out to God for mercy, repenting of it. And so here, these are the details of, of their repentance. And look at this one. Look at, and he says here, who knows? The king said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They were scared. They were terrified. They were going to do what they knew how to humble themselves in the hope that the God who sent, the God who was going to send his, uh, his judgment as proclaimed by his messenger, the prophet Jonah. They didn't know what else, how else to respond, but they responded in the way they knew how, and they repented. They acknowledged their sin and their guilt, and they cried out to the God of Jonah. 
And they were saying, perhaps he will see that our repentance is sincere. We don't know how he wants to be, to be appeased or anything. But we are sincere. We don't want to perish. And the whole city of Nineveh, led by the king, the greatest of them to the least, were in one accord, one mind, one heart to repent of their wicked ways. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Now, what could have brought this about? Was it Jonah's articulation? No, he only had a simple message. But his message was straightforward and it was gripping. See, in different cultures, I believe a simple answer is this. How did they come to this point? I believe, like I said a while ago, God is the sovereign over all nations. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He establishes nations and he uproots them. He knows the times of empires. When King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon said, I am the greatest, what did God do? Because of your pride, here, God made him insane and walked. He groped around like an animal for seven years, for a few years. The king was groping around like an animal. See, no king, no matter how great he seems to be, can boast before the establisher and deposer of kings. So here, they were desperate. And I believe because of God's heart for everyone, not just for the nation of Israel, God's heart is for all people. All of us have sinned and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God, the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent His one and only Son, the only avenue for us to receive mercy that he established there's only one way to him and that is jesus christ not a religion not being religious okay not being spiritual it's coming to him through jesus christ okay while we were still sinners christ died for us his heart is for all people not just for a select few and god in his sovereignty prepares Nations and prepares generations and prepares people to receive the gospel. And one, of my, one of the astounding books I've read uh, in my life as a Christian is this book by Don Richardson. Don Richardson is a Canadian missionary, and uh, he's been a missionary to Southeast Asia. But uh, he studied different cultures. If you can get, read this book, this is going to change your heart. Eternity in Their Hearts. This was a gripping book when I read it. I was like, couldn't let go of it. It was such a good book that I don't have it anymore. You know how it is when you have a great book, people borrow it, and, and people borrow it from the guy who borrowed from you, and then they, you lose track where it is now. So <laughs> I've had several copies of these that are lost now. I don't know where. You know, so anyway, Don Richardson, being a missionary, studied, and he, in all his studies of cultures, he has seen, and he proposes that, since God is the sovereign over all cultures, he prepares the cultures to receive the gospel. And, you know, he prepares them so that they will be ready. And here in his book, in the introduction, Don Richardson shared a great story about the 6th century B.C. in Athens. You know, during that time, you know, Greece and all the Greek city-states, they had, um, you know, their, their Greek gods. They had a pantheon of gods. You know, they had a god for, for anything. They had a god of war, god of love, god of peace, god of fertility. 
you know, God of thunder, God of the ocean, God of the seas, God, name it, they have it. And then in the 6th century, during the 6th century BC in Athens, there was a mysterious plague that was decimating the city. And they tried to determine what this was. They couldn't determine what it was. They didn't know what this thing was. But it was decimating the city. It was killing people and, and livestock. And so what's happening here? And so they tried to do their, you know, all their medical knowledge at the time. They tried to apply it, and they couldn't find any cure. So they, they assumed now that this was the doing of the gods, that maybe we have... Maybe they have offended one of, the, one of the gods. Maybe Zeus, maybe Artemis, the goddess of fertility, or maybe Ares, whatever. They probably have offended one or at least one of the gods. And so they tried to appease the gods. So they went to their different temples and their priests and all, and they offered sacrifices, and nothing happened. The plague was continuing. And then when they couldn't figure out what was happening, they they sought the help of one of the more famous uh, poets and philosophers of their day. His name was Epimenides, who lived in Crete. And so they, they got him, and they asked, what should we do? And so this guy, this philosopher said, and when he did everything, he said, it's, it's not of the gods that we know. Maybe it's to an unknown god that we don't know. And here's what we're going to do to see if this is really the case. He, upon his advisement, they had a flock of sheep, different colors, and they starved them for many days. They didn't feed them. And so the deal was this. If we're going to release them in Mars Hill where it was grassy and, you know, and if you're hungry, what's the first thing you're going to do? Eat, right? And animals, of course, instinctively, they will eat. And if, here's what, they, what the philosopher said. If in their hunger they wander off and they lie down and they lay down and do not eat, then that is the confirmation we have offended a God that we don't know. And so they released the sheep all throughout Mars Hill. And then to their amazement, none of the sheep ate the grass that was there. They just went to different places and, and lay there in the places where they went. And the places where they lay, they, they now, it's not confirmed their hearts you know, an unknown God. They have offended an unknown God. So they've erected altars on the places where the sheep lay, and then the sheep that lay in that place were the sacrifice. And then to their amazement as well, the plague mysteriously stopped. And so they erected those altars, and they said to an unknown God. And over time, those altars were destroyed or whatever. Some were preserved. This is a picture of that so at one such altar, this is in a, in a museum in Rome, and uh, it's inscribed there to an unknown God. Centuries later in Athens, the Apostle Paul walks, and he was going to preach. He was there to preach the gospel. He was looking at the city. He saw different altars and statues to their different gods, and then he notices this altar to an unknown God. And in Acts 17, when he was in Athens, read your Bible. He used that as the jumping point for his sermon. This unknown God that you credit for, you know, you give credit for, that you honor, I will tell you who he is. And then he uses it. He's the God who created everything. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He created the universe, and basically he's calling everyone to repent. And so he used that. You see how God prepares 
cultures. And we have that story after story of those things. And so I believe the Ninevites, in their wickedness, God was still sovereignly moving in their hearts and prepared them for such a time as this. When the prophet, his messenger would come, they would repent. I believe that. That's why when God calls you to speak to your friend, to, to share the gospel to them, oh, he doesn't believe, you know, his, his attitude is this, he's so arrogant, you know. If God tells you to do it, and that tells you that he's already been doing the background work for you. All you need to do is proclaim. His, their response is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to deliver the message and live the message with love. Their response is their responsibility. But that is God's area. He will take care of that. Isn't God good? How many of you could look back to the day that you gave your life to Christ? And you look back right now and you say, you know what? At the very time I needed Christ, somebody that represented him came to me. Or I talked to someone about him at the time I needed him most. Do you think it was just coincidence? Or do you think God knew that that was your time? Come on now. So Jonah is a type of the church like us. He's calling us. Okay? So when God saw what they did... How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Was that permanent? No. The city, centuries later, was still destroyed. Actually, the prophet Nahum prophesied the destruction of Nineveh. But their repentance, though it was not complete, it was enough for God to relent. And the Bible declares that there was indeed repentance. Sad to say that that repentance was not sustained in the generations that followed. But there was genuine repentance there for God to relent. Okay? God relented. See, when we repent, God relents. And so my main point for this sermon is this. I'm sorry. Jeremiah 18, 7, verse, verses 7 to 10 will tell you. God saying to Jeremiah, if, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. See, God is sovereign over nations. So my main, main point for this sermon is this. God's second chance is for us are his acts of mercy and grace. When you receive a second chance, how many of you have been, can say you're born again, you're saved and you're born again today, you have, you're a new person in Christ. You can say that, lift your hand. You are living in your second chance. Do you know that? And that second chance, you got it not because you were worthy, not because you were great and religious and awesome and good looking and all those things, None of us deserve this second chance. But the fact that we are living in our second chance tells you one thing, that we are living in His mercy and grace. If it was not for His mercy, if it were not for His mercy and grace, there will be no second chance. We will all be doomed. And this second chance that God has given us, He now established it. The only way He established it for us 
to have a second chance is through his son, Jesus. This grace, this mercy is available only by faith in Christ. Titus chapter 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Who is this? This grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for himself. Now, how does this story apply to, to us today as we land this thing? First, again, it's Jesus Christ. He is the way. The mercy of God has been expressed through the person of Jesus Christ. How does this apply to us today? First of all, God gives us second chances in light of his purpose. When God gives you a second chance, it's not about you, but it's about his purpose. Look at Jonah. He was given a second chance so that he can fulfill the calling of God for his life, at least for that portion, to preach in Nineveh. Did you get that? He gives us a second chance so that we can fulfill what we've been called to do. God is great in that aspect. God sent Jonah to the Ninevites so they could hear the message and repent. God sent his son to the world so that we can hear his message and repent and be saved. So, number two, we are called to preach God's message. Just like Jonah, we are called to preach the message of the gospel to the world. That calling is all for us. We are called to reach out to the world. We're not here to hide in the church and be protected, be, you know, we don't want the world to corrupt us, you know, we don't want to be, we want to remain pure. No, God saved us so that we can be his instruments so that he can save others, okay? And number three, just like Jonah's message had urgency, there is an urgency for us to preach the gospel. People are dying out there. They are on a timetable, and God is sending us to give them a warning, to preach the good news so that they can turn to Christ and repent and receive the blessing of eternal life. Second Peter says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's his desire for us to come to repent, for us not to perish, but for us to come to repentance. And let me conclude with this one. Basically, all the lessons we've learned here, this last point encapsulates it. Our obedience to God can mean others' repentance and salvation. If you obey God, that can be a soul saved from eternal damnation. Or not just a soul, many souls, many people saved, many people repenting. Many people receiving the gift of eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand right now and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, that as we are studying the book of Jonah, we see that obedience is key. Lord, our obedience is tied to the destinies, the eternal destinies of people.
Lord, help us not to be so focused on our biases. Help us not to be focused on our perceptions of the world, our preferences. But Lord, help us to see your heart for the world, your heart for the lost. Help us not to proclaim the gospel, Lord, with, with, with an unwilling heart. But Lord, let, help us to see your love for those who are perishing and your desire to see them saved, to see them repent, to see them turn from their wicked ways. And help us not to judge them, but Lord, help us to be instrument, instruments of love that your message and your love would be seen in us. That when we reach out to them, they would, they would see you, not us. That they would believe you, not, not just us, but they would believe in you. Just like what happened in Nineveh when Jonah preached. You went before them. Lord, we know. Lord, you have gone before. You prepared good works for all of us. You didn't just save us from, some, from something. You saved us for something. You have prepared good works for us in advance, for us to do, for your glory and honor. And you have appointed people their, their day of salvation and you're calling us to those people so that they may have the chance to respond. Lord, help us to get out of our comfort zones and go out there in the world where people are different from us and yet we love them with, a, with, with your love. And we preach the gospel not out of hate or a desire for them to get judged, but for Lord, that we preach the good news that they would receive what we have received. For we were once like them. Lord, today we ask that you would purify our hearts and that we would respond, that we would learn our lesson as a church, Lord, from the life of Jonah, that we would not run away from your call, that we would not run away from what you're calling us to do, but we would run to it, trusting that you will go before us. And Lord, as we obey you, Lord, we know we're going to have many more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They will come to repentance, and they will not perish because they will receive eternal life. And you're going to use us in a mighty way. Lord, maybe some of us have turned away from you. Lord, right now, you're calling some of us to repentance. Lord, to turn back, just as you called Jonah to turn back to you. You're calling them again. You're calling them today because you want to reestablish them in their calling, in their commission. Lord, as they repent, Lord, they will be brought back. You will be the one to restore them to your call. Lord, if there are people like that today, Lord, just pray that you would touch them, Lord. They would, I pray that you would cause them to say, Lord, that's me. Lord, I just turn to you today. And Lord, do a work in our lives as church. Help us, Lord, to be the church. Help us not to make a world, Lord, our, to live in our own bubble, to live in our own world, Lord. Help us to be salt and light to the world, to the world that is outside the four corners of the church, the four walls of the church, so to speak. Help us to be out there and reach out to them that we may see the miracle of repentance in the lives of people. As we've seen in Jonah, we, Lord, we desire to see that here in, in our region, here in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, Lord. We want to see that kind of revival. Use us, Lord God. Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. We've heard of them. 
what you've done in the past, Lord. Renew them in our day. Would you renew them in our time, Lord? Lord, in our time, make your works known through us. Help us to be your instruments, Lord. Here we are. Use us. Thank you, Lord. And we thank you for your grace. It is by grace that we stand today. You've chosen us. You've plucked us out of darkness. Your grace changed everything for us. And Lord, we are now agents of your grace. We are your ambassadors, Lord. And we say, here we are. Use us for your glory. That the Lamb would receive the reward of his sufferings as we reach out to people. In Jesus' name we pray.